goes to her backyard and have a cup of tea there, sitting on her backyard and admiring her neighbor's nice green pasture. And she wonder why hers is so green and not hers. And so she decided to do an experiment. She just walked across to the neighbor's house, ring the doorbell, and chat with the lady. And the lady neighbor brought her back to the backyard, have a look there. And from her backyard, she looked into her own backyard, her own home. And as she looked there, she said, Wow, actually, my backyard is quite green. It's as green as your backyard. But why is it that only when I look it from your house to my house that I notice that it's greener? Well, the neighbor said, well, the grass always looks greener on the other side of the fence because you're not close enough to see the dirt. You know, most of the time, uh, things look better for others simply because we can't see their dirt in a sense. Or often I like to say the grass is always greener where you water it. But when you come to my house, it doesn't matter which angle you look at my garden, it doesn't look green. <laughs> or have you heard of the story about a father who is a very wealthy man and uh, he provided everything for his son, and, but he doesn't want the son to take for granted the wealth and the blessing that he enjoyed. And so he decided to bring the son to another country to just see how poor they were and how blessed they actually were. So, so they took the son to this country, poor country, go to the backyard, go to the back country or whatever, live there for a number of years. And then on the way back on the plane, he asked the son, son, how was your trip? How's the trip? And uh, the son said, it was great, dad. And the father said, did you see how poor people can be? And the son said, oh, yes. So what did you learn from this trip? And the son answered, well, I saw that we have one dog and they have four. We have a pool, a swimming pool that reaches to the middle of our garden and they have a creek that has no end. We have imported lanterns into our garden and they have the stars at night. Our patio reaches to the front yard and they have the whole horizon. We have a small piece of land to live on and they have fields that go beyond our sight. We have servants who serve us, but they serve others. We buy our food, but they grow theirs. We have walls around our property to protect us. They have friends to protect them. And with this, the boy's father was absolutely speechless. And then his son added, Dad, thanks for showing me how poor we are. You know, sometimes life is about perspective, isn't it true? It's how you see certain things. And as Christians, I always believe that we must have Christian perspective. We must always have biblical worldview. We should always view the world through the lens of the Bible. Because the Bible has position on Many things on love, on life after death, on marriage, on sex, on everything. About money, the scripture has views on those things. And if only we, our own view, our worldviews are shaped by the scripture, and then we will be able to see things in a clearer 
and proper perspective. Even trials, hardships, there's a, there's a perspective to that as well. And so this morning, on the first Sunday of 2019, I just want to give you three points. I just want to encourage you, just want to uh, uh, encourage you on certain perspectives that we need to have as believers as we approach this new year, as we look back at 2018. Uh, so let me just start by giving you three things. First thing is, I want to encourage you to look back and thank God. Yeah, you look back in the year 2018, look back and thank God. But when I put down that point, I was thinking, but what if people sitting here this morning went through tremendous amount of heartache, hardship, lost someone, lost job, financial failure, uh, very difficult. Can we realistically look back and thank God when your 2018 was crap, was bad, was lousy? You cannot really thank God. So how? What should you do? And I was just thinking about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul was writing this. Paul said, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, that's the God's general will for us. That is to rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Please note that Paul didn't say give thanks for all circumstances. I thank God I have cancer. I mean, you don't do that. But you say we can thank God in all circumstances. And I was just thinking about these words that Paul writes here, rejoice, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. And I begin to think, how about Paul himself? Is Paul some kind of sitting in an ivory tower, writing this, you know, no... No concern, no failure, no hardship, and therefore he can strive. You know how easy we can tell somebody something when emotionally we are not involved. It's always easy to ask somebody to say something, forgive or something like that when emotionally we are not connected with the environment or situation. But as I was just thinking, I, I want to show you Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians, look at what Paul went through himself. And then when you see those words that he wrote in Thessalonians, it becomes clear to you that even he himself went through tremendous amount of hardship. He's still able to hold it together and say, well, you know what? God's will is that we rejoice, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is what he said. Are they servants of Christ? Second Corinthians is a book that Paul has to defend himself because he was under a lot of severe criticism from, uh, from others. And so he has to defend himself. So Second Corinthians is a book for the pastors in some sense. And he said, are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more, he said. You only think that these people are servants. I am more because these are more charismatic, more flamboyant. He said, I'm more. He said, I'm out of my mind to even think or to even say this to you, to dare to say this to you. I'm more. I'm more. I work much harder, he said. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, just so that they won't hit more than 40. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and have toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger. I have known thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, all these physical things I had to suffer, Paul said, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And then he said, who is weak that I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin that I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. You see what Paul has to go through himself? And another verse here in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. You see, Paul went through all this thing. And so Paul is not kind of exempted from hardship and therefore he can just say, hey, you know what you should do as a Christian? Pray continually, rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances. It's not that. He himself knows what struggle is all about. He himself knows what pain is all about. It's almost like St. Augustine. I love his quote on this. St. Augustine says this. He said, Give me someone who loves and he will understand what I'm trying to say. Give me someone whose heart yearns, who feels the nostalgia of loneliness in this exile, who is athirst and sighs for a fatherland eternal. Give me such one and he will understand what I'm trying to say. But if I must explain myself to ice-cold indifference, he will not understand. You know how frustrating it is to talk to someone who's oblivious to, uh, to the struggle that you're going through? You know, it just wastes your, your effort sometimes. Just people don't identify, people don't understand. You know how frustrating it is to talk to people who don't understand? And probably you give them more ammunition to, to, to shoot at you. And so Paul here, he was able to say, well, you know what? Give thanks. And I want to challenge you as you look back in the year 2018, whatever struggle, whatever difficulties that you may endure, uh, thank God. Why? Why you can actually give thanks in every circumstance? Why is that so? Because from Christian perspective, again, Christian worldview, is that God will use every circumstance, whether good or bad, for the good of those who are His children. Sometimes you don't know whether something is good or bad, but one thing for sure, we can always be thankful that God is working for our good in everything. Haven't we always say God is good? What? All the time. And all the time? God is good, isn't it? 
No matter how, you must know the goodness of God in your life. And so whatever we go through, He may be shaping us, molding us. I know this is a cliche, but we have to believe this. We have to believe. We have to have a Christian worldviews on this. Bruce, I was just wondering whether you could redirect me to the verse in Genesis 50. Save me from reversing back on Joseph. Uh, we know the story of Joseph. Um, and what did he say towards the end? Never mind, I'll do it faster. I just read. Uh, Genesis, Genesis 50, towards the end, what did Joseph say? This is just an amazing man who is able to see things from God's anger and submit his entire life to the sovereignty will of God. He said, don't be afraid. He told his brother, I'm not here to punish you. I'm a prime minister now. I'm not going to use my power to now get back at you. He said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I may be a prime minister, but I'm not in the place of God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He's able to see things from the anger of Scripture, able to see from the God's overall picture and say, well, God has allowed certain things to happen so that something else will come out from there. He allowed it to happen. And so my encouragement to you, uh, my first point is uh, look back and thank God. Look back and thank God. Go on your knees and thank God. Because when you begin to thank God, I believe that it produces a certain dynamics in your life. It affects your attitude. It affects your emotion. It affects the way you view things. It all comes together when you're able to look at God. And God, you are sovereign. You are good God. You know everything. I don't know. You are in charge. I submit my life to you. And when you are able to go through that process, it creates certain dynamic in the way you view things, in the way you view your trials, in the way you see how God is molding you and shaping you. It gives in a complete new perspective to where you have been, to where you will be going to. Uh, Joni Erickson, uh, many of us uh, heard of her. She was 17 years old and she went swimming, she jumped off and she was paralyzed uh, downwards completely. Uh, I remember when I was uh, 16 years old, I, we, at a youth camp, we watched her testimony and a show that I'm sure some of you have seen it before. And this is what she said. She, and she, she said, Lord Jesus, the weaker I am in this wheelchair, the harder I lean on you. And the harder I lean on you, the stronger I discover you to be. Keep my heart strong, my soul stirred, my vision clear, and my enthusiasm fresh to help others know you this way. Help me to boast in my affliction so that others might delight in theirs. Your power and peace is worth it all, and your glory worth more. Jesus, in short, I would rather be in this chair knowing you this way than on my feet without you. And at journey's end, may I testify one more time that your grace was enough. Amen. Perspective. Perspective.
trust in God. Jonathan Edwards, as a very young man, wrote this book. And he says this. He said, there are three reasons why any Christian who knows Christ and knows that he knows Christ can be completely content. There are three things. I think I might have this PowerPoint. I might have. I'm not sure. Yes, I have. He said, your bad things will turn out for good. Your good things can never be taken away from you. And your best thing is yet to come. And therefore, you can be absolutely contented as a believer. Your bad things will turn out for your good. Your good things can never be taken away from you. And the best things are yet to come for you when you learn to walk with the Lord. So the first point I want to challenge you uh, beginning of this year, 2019, is to look back and thank God. Thank God. Because it produced a wonderful, incredible dynamic and put you into the will of God, submitting yourself into His plan. Secondly, I want to encourage you to look forward and trust God. Not just look backward and thank God, but I want to encourage you to look forward and trust God. You cannot really thank if you don't trust. Thankfulness comes from an a t- amazing attitude of trusting God. And when I think of trust, which verse do you think of in the Bible? I know that you know this Bible verse. Everybody knows this Bible verse. Which verse? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, isn't it? When you think of trust, it's a verse that we all memorize when you're young and put into songs. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Don't just only focus it on Focus on trust in the Lord with all your heart. He said, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, you acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. How do you trust the Lord? By not leaning on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding because when you are trying to lean on your own understanding, you can't see God. It doesn't mean to say that you don't use your brain to examine the situation and gather all the facts, weigh the situation, think it through. We are not saying that we don't do that. But it does mean that you should not depend on that alone. We must acknowledge that sometimes it is hard to discern God's will. It simply means when things aren't going exactly right in your life, You sit there and you try to figure out in your own intelligence what is going on. You can't. Sometimes you can't. Because there are many, many things in life you just won't be able to figure out. I don't know why bad things happen to good people. But there are a lot of people who waste a lot of time and energy trying to figure it out on their own understanding. I don't know why good godly people contracted cancer and die like my colleague in my old church. Australian man married a lady from Hong Kong, great Bible teacher, started a great ministry called Online Bible College, great Bible teacher, speak fluent Cantonese because his wife is from Hong Kong and just a, a wonderful, gifted Bible teacher and died of stomach cancer at the age of just 43. How do you explain that? We don't know. You know, sometimes what appears right to us logically is wrong scripturally. 
And sometimes what appears to be wrong logically is actually right scripturally. You can't. Because our reasoning has limitation. It doesn't mean to say our mind says right means it's right. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? So I just want to encourage you uh, this year, not just look back and thank God, but look forward and trust God. God can be trusted. Don't give up your hope or your faith. Believe in God. Trust in Him. And when you begin to trust in Him, again, it creates different dynamic into your life and things begins to change. I grew up in a Presbyterian church and I grew up singing hymns with the hymns of faith, small little book. Hymns of faith. We used to have book, no PowerPoint, no slides or whatever and just use a hymn book to sing hymns. It's a tiny little book. When you're young, your eyesight is good, no problem. You can read. You carry wherever you go, youth group or whatever. We just open it up and, and sing song number 545 or something like that, you know. And I was young, and I learned all this hymn, what number. When they say what number, I straight away know what song is that. Uh, and one of the hymns that I really, really enjoy singing is called uh, uh, Simply Trusting. Remember the song? I thought we might want to sing together in a cappella. No music. How's that? Wanna go? Give it a go. Because the words are so beautiful, I just wanted to use as a music to just sing it into... Uh, just only two verses, okay? Let's sing together. Simply trusting every day, trusting through a stormy day, even when my faith is small, trusting Jesus that is so. Trusting as the moments fly, trusting as the days go by, trusting Him wherever before, trusting Jesus that is all. Trusting Him while I shall last, trusting Him till earth be past, till within the jasper hall, trusting Jesus that is so. Trusting as the moments fly, trusting as the days go by, trusting Him whatever before, trusting Jesus that is all. Amen? So look forward and trust God. Always trust God. Don't trust your own reasoning. Don't trust your own logic alone. Trust in Him. Don't trust your own emotions alone. Trust in God. Trust in the revealed Word of God, what God's Word say. So look back and thank God. Look forward and trust God. And the third thing that I want to live with you today is look around and serve God. Look around 
and serve God. Look around and serve God. And I want to read this text to you uh, in Mark chapter 10 because serving God requires certain attitudes and hearts that we are servants of God. And uh, I want to read you this text. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. And they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Imagine your son comes to you and tells you that. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? He said, You know what? Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Let us be your right hand and left hand man for you in, in, in the future. And Jesus said, well, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can! The cup is really for the cup of suffering. Can you? We can! Jesus said to them, well, you, you will drink the cup I drink anyway. <laughs> you as it is, eventually you... You suffer and you die for me. You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, which the other ten, remember the twelve disciples, these two, James and John went and asked, this, this ten heard about this going, commotion going on, they became indignant and with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you, Jesus said. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Why? Why? Because for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And in this simple text, Jesus gave us two possible paths to greatness. The path of self-promotion and the path of self-denial. And they are laid out for us in the teaching of our Lord in this wonderful text. I don't have a lot of time to unpack this. Uh, the first is a carnal and worldly way, the, the pathway, the way of self-promotion. And this is an approach that is modeled by many, many people. But the second is the spiritual heavenly path that modeled by Jesus, Jesus Christ. The way of self-promotion and the way of self-denial. The way of self-promotion is all of a political power play maneuvering, quickly go behind and talk to Jesus. And it's about audacious ambition. It's about dominant dictatorship that Jesus mentioned. Wow, these people lord it over them. But you are not so with you. Your way is the way of self-denial. Rick Warren said, We need servant role models to follow these days because a genuine servant mindset is so very rare in our fallen world.
the reason servant is not popular is because it is so contrary to our inborn, selfish, sinful nature. In our minds, our tendency is to yearn to be first, not last. We want to be served, but not to serve. And as Bill Hybels said, in each human heart is a built-in mechanism that craves self-promotion and advancement. But you know, in Paul's letter, Paul's favorite title for himself is a servant of Jesus Christ. You read all his letters, 14 letters or 13 letters that he wrote in, uh, in the New Testament out of the 27 books, and oftentimes he addressed himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. In Romans, in 1 Corinthians, in Philippians, in Colossians, Ephesians, Thessalonians, it is not Paul the big shot, but Paul the servants of Jesus Christ. And servant, think of ministry as an opportunity, not an obligation as an opportunity, but not an obligation. And uh, when I was 17 years old, I was the leader in my youth group. And as leader in my youth group, I was to go to attend meetings with uh, church leaders. And I remember the church whole leadership, they read through this book together. They studied this book together. It's a very old book by Richard Foster called The Celebration of Discipline. Anyone read this book before? Celebration of Discipline. And this is what he says. In the book, he says something that I will never forget. And at that time, as a young man, I cannot fully comprehend. But now, as a pastor, much older man, as I look back at those words, it is very clear to me now. He says, he, he wrote this thing between self-focused service and Christ-focused service. And he draw the contrast of what it means to be a self-focused service, self-focused service and a Christ-focused service. And this is what he says. He says, self-focused service is concerned with impressive gains. It enjoys serving when the service is titanic or growing in that direction. But Christ-focused service doesn't distinguish between small and large. It indiscriminately welcomes all opportunities to serve. And then he went on to say, self-focused service requires external reward, appreciation, and applause. But Christ-focused service rests content in hiddenness. The divine knot of approval is sufficient. And thirdly, he says, self-focused service is highly concerned about results. It becomes disillusioned when results fall below expectations. But Christ-focused service is free of the need to calculate results. It delights only in service. And that is why Christian missions are severely criticized now in, in many, many uh, underdeveloped countries because they often think that you have an agenda. Your help is not genuine. Your help is that you want to convert me, and I reject that. You're helping me, giving me food is not really helping me. You want to convert me. And we've got to be careful on it. Christ-focused service is free of the need to calculate results. It delights only in service. And fourthly, self-focused service is affected by feelings Whereas Christ-focused service ministers simply and faithfully because there is a need. The service disciplines the feelings. The service itself disciplines your emotions, your feelings, and not the other way around. 
And then last one, he says, self-focused service insists on meeting the need. It demands the opportunity to help. Whereas Christ-focused service listens with tenderness and patience. It can serve by waiting in silence. Self-focused service and Christ-focused service. And that is why Psalms 102 Psalms 100 verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul's, uh, the Corinthian church, not Corinthian church, the Macedonian church was a poor, poorer church. Corinthian church is a very rich church, gifted and all that. That's why they are proud. They've got so much problem. And therefore, Paul has to address all the issues in that church, which is so popular and so rich and so arrogant. But a Macedonian church was a poor church. But Macedonian church was giving money to help the Jerusalem church because they suffered famine. And Paul was using the Macedonian church as an example to shame the Corinthian church. And this is what he said. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Remember, he's writing the Corinthian churches, rich church, famous church, charismatic church, very powerful church. But there are, there are a lot of problems there. And he said, well, you know, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty well up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. I can imagine Paul was saying, no, 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 Macedonian church, your, your church is not very rich, you're poor, you just get by, don't have to help us, don't have to help the Jerusalem, it's okay, it's alright, don't worry, I'm trying to ask the Corinthian church, which is the rich one to give, not you, you're alright, you're doing well. But he says this, that this Macedonian church was pleading with Paul, we want to give, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the sin. Almost like they begged us to take the money so they could share in the joy of helping. And Christ-like servants are these Macedonians love to serve because they know that when they see a need, what they are really seeing is a chance to join God in His work, a chance to do things that literally make an eternal difference. And one more thing of uh, Richard Foster say in the self-focused and Christ-focused service, he says this, self-focused service is temporary. It functions only while the specific acts of service are being performed. Having served, it can rest easy. But Christ-focused service is a lifestyle. It's not a temporary measure. It's a lifestyle. It acts from ingrained patterns of living. It springs spontaneously to meet human need. That's the Christ-focused service. It's ingrained into your life that your eyes are open to the opportunity to serve because they know that when you serve, you are actually serving God. John Wesley, uh, Caroline mentioned in the, in the 
in the covenant thing that she prayed. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, and as long as ever you can. Or as long as you ever can. An opportunity to use our gifts to serve God. So may this year be that kind of year that you look around and serve God spontaneously. Not necessarily need to organize type of way of doing it. You can spontaneously see a need. You can say, well, I can meet the need. I can do something. I can do something about it. Spontaneously, we can serve God. Timothy Keller, the uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church pastor in New York, uh, he says this. I really like this quote. He said, even if our own troubles are great, we should still serve Jesus. We should still serve. Why? Because Jesus was his disciples' feet on the way to the cross. And next day he's dying. And despite the fact that tomorrow he's going to die, he still performed the service. He still performed the service. Even if our own troubles are great, we should still serve because Jesus was his disciples' feet on the way to the cross. Billy Graham, uh, Imjai sent me a quote by Billy Graham saying, It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It is God's work to judge. And my job is just to serve and love. Leave the rest to the Lord. So, look around and serve God. Look back and thank God. Look forward and trust God. And look around and roll up yourself. Sleep and go on your bended knees and serve whatever needs there are to serve. Let me close with this uh, poem called I Wonder. This person wrote this poem like a prayer to the Lord. He said, you know, Lord, how I serve you. With great emotional fervor in the limelight. You know how eagerly I speak for you at the women's club. You know how I passionate, how I passionate when I promote a fellowship group. You know my genuine enthusiasm at a Bible study. But Lord, how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed to a basin of water and you asked me to wash the callous feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day by day month by month in a room where nobody saw and nobody knew. He said, I wonder what will happen. May you use your gift to serve the Lord, Christ-focused service, and use your life as a devotion to God. Father, we thank you for this year. We thank you for last year. And we want to look back and we want to find ways to thank you. You have been good to us. You are a good God. Help us to look forward and trust you. Let not any circumstance derail us. Help us look at the cross. Help us draw strength from Jesus. Help us look back, look forward. Help us look around and use our lives 
to serve you. Joyfully, cheerfully, sacrificially. Never mind no one see. Never mind no one say thanks to us. Never mind no one not for approver. Never mind. We serve to the audience of want. And that is you. May our passion be that. And may this church be that church that serve cheerfully, joyfully for your glory. Bless this year, Lord. Bless this year as this church go through the construction phase, pray together, serve together, put up with each other's idiosyncrasies, love each other, serve each other, and be a model to our community that this church is not just gifted with money or, or the building, but we are drawn by our love and by our service and by our joy. Thank you, Lord. Amen.